0: All right. Well, we're going to finish Romans chapter 3 this morning. So turn there if you would, Romans chapter 3. Well, as you know, uh, since verse 21, Paul has been talking about a righteousness that is through faith. The righteousness that we receive from God, he says, is through our faith in Jesus Christ. He makes it clearly known it is not of ourselves. Now Paul spoke on this in order to make it clear that the only way that anybody can come into a right relationship with God is certainly through our faith in Christ. And in doing so, he also made a very clear distinction that it does not and it cannot come through observing the law. He dealt with some of the Jews, even though they are in the church at Rome. As we know, they had some uh, difficulties believing things. And so he made it clear that faith alone in Jesus Christ is the only way, not by observing the law. And so with that statement, righteousness comes through faith, not only did it naturally equipped the church with the truth. That, of course, is Paul's goal. But it also stood opposed to a lot of the faulty thinking that some of the people still possessed in the church at Rome. You must remember that Paul did not start the church in Rome. Paul started many churches, right? He didn't start the church in Rome. Actually, Paul never visited there either. So there was always this possibility that false beliefs could have crept in. Matter of fact, Paul pointed out a couple of them just in the first couple of chapters. He had to literally prove to all of these people he's writing to that every one of them are sinners. All mankind is depraved, all sinful, all unworthy of any right standing before God. And then, of course, for others, specifically the Jews, even though the Jews were truly blessed. Uh, by God with numerous benefits, none of those benefits that God provided for them gave them a free ride into heaven. These Jews needed to know that their sin was no different than the Gentiles' sin. Everyone needed forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And therefore, Paul came to verses 21 through 26, explaining this in detail and hopefully setting them straight by giving them a better understanding of salvation. For example, just as a bit of a review, verse 21, it told them that the righteousness we now possess had nothing to do with us, but it literally came from God. And then, of course, to make sure there was no misunderstanding at all, verse 22 says that very same righteousness that Paul said is a gift from God, he said it comes through faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, he says it is by grace. Remember the word grace? It's also the word for gift, right? By grace through faith. Does that sound like any scripture you might happen to know? You think of Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it is, he says, a gift from God. And so once again, the point being, it is not by what man can do, but he says it is by what Jesus Christ did for us. Our faith, our trust must be in him, and it must be in what he did on the cross on our behalf. He paid the sin debt, our sin debt, okay? And that we get that through, of course, our faith in him. He then moved right into verse 23, and he makes it clear that there is no distinguishing, um, I should say maybe no, dis- no distinguish. how do I say that? Uh, in person, there's no distinction Uh, in persons. He says a, a verse that we all know very well, for all have sinned, everyone, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single person, doesn't matter what you look like, who you are, where you're from, without exception, he says, is a depraved sinner. And every person needs forgiveness, once again, which only comes through the Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 24, he said, and I've already kind of alluded to this, but he says that we are justified, and I hope you remember what being justified means in its very simple form. It means you are declared to be righteous, right? He says we are justified because of the redemption that came through Christ Now, that word redemption, or if you will, being redeemed, it simply means a price had to be paid. Okay, A price had to be paid. Because of our sinfulness, yours and mine, and every person for that matter who comes to Christ, we all fall short of God's glory. He says that sin had to be dealt with, period. Remember what the Bible says? Actually, Romans says it. The wages of sin is what? Death. That's eternal death. Okay, that's not physical death. We're already going to physically die because of Adam. That's spiritual death, okay? Eternal separation from God. Our sin deserves that. But because of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus says, I'll do it. I'll take care of that. I will pay that debt for you. And of course, as you know, Jesus died on that cross. And then verse 25 Adds to that redemption and says that Jesus was also the atoning sacrifice, or some of your translations it says he was the propitiation. Okay? Simply meaning those words mean to satisfy. Okay? You might say God was propitiated, if you want to look at it that way. God was satisfied completely with the sacrifice of Jesus for our sin. And the reason why is because Jesus was the perfect unblemished Lamb without sin. Nobody, folks, not any single solitary person could have satisfied God's righteous demands. But because it was Christ, because he was the sinless Lamb, because He was God Himself, He was satisfied. That's why Jesus could say on the cross to die, right? It is finished. He could say that. Our debt has been paid in full. God accepted or God was satisfied with Jesus' death for our sin. He was okay without us because you know, once again, you've heard me say this, only one of two people are going to pay for our sin, right? It's you in hell or it's Christ on the cross. That's it. He was satisfied with Jesus' death for the sins of those who would believe. And then finally, we ended in verse 25 and 26, and where he tells us when Jesus died, he says there's two things. Number one, he showed himself to be just. Okay? The word just there, he says he is just because of the sins of the Old Testament saints as well as the sins after Christ were punished by his death. To be just or to show justice, sin had to be punished, right? So he says that Jesus is just by paying the price on that cross, even for those before him, right? Remember, there was a sacrifice being made, like on the Day of Atonement. That never took away their sin, did it? It covered their sin. They had to keep doing it. Jesus Christ took away their sin. Hence the term, it's finished, right? Right? But not only was Jesus just, Paul also calls him the justifier, or if you will, the one who justifies. By that one act on the cross, sin was not only punished, right, proving God's justice, but it also opened the door for forgiveness, doesn't it? Justifying those whose faith is in Jesus Christ. It's truly an amazing statement. The one act on the cross paid for the sin of those who had come to faith in Christ, he is just sin, God, it's punishment, but he's a justifier because those very people whose sin he paid for can now be justified, can now be declared righteous through that one act of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so just in that short little section, which took us a couple of sermons to get through, Paul really did give this great in-depth uh, 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 dissertation, if you will, on salvation by faith alone in Christ alone, okay? This morning, we're going to be looking at verses 27 through 31. Paul is now going to actually finish up this chapter here, chapter 3, and he's going to be putting together some final points. You can almost call them some closing points of some things that we already hit upon a little bit as we were studying in chapter 3. But Paul's going to do this by asking some questions. Okay? So read with me. I'm going to start in verse 27. Paul says, Where then is boasting? He says, It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No, But on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. All right, so draw back to verse 27, if you will. And so after Paul finishes what he talked about in verses 21 through 26, which I just did a little bit of a review on, he says, after you think about what he says, this is why he says, where then is the boasting? Right? It's almost like saying, "Do you think you can boast now?" Right? He says, "No, boasting is excluded, right? On what principle? It's not on observing the law, because we're saved by faith." he says. So he, he's, he's basically saying in this verse, "There is no room for boasting, okay, as he just said in the previous verses, because... Our salvation is by faith. Because we are saved by faith, he says, there is no boasting about what you have done. And they needed to hear that. Matter of fact, the New Living Translation phrases it this way. He says, can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It's based on faith. It says it in a little clearer way for us. And so what's happening here, if you think back just a little bit, Paul spent a majority of the first three chapters here in Romans dealing with sin, but he also, if you remember, was dealing with some of the faulty beliefs of some of the Jews in the church at Rome. Now, if you remember, most of those dealt with their misunderstanding of salvation and the law. Okay, In their minds, the law had its focus on works. That was their mindset. And therefore, as I just mentioned in my introduction, Paul hopefully set them straight by everything he said in verses 21 through 26. Well now, coming to verse 27, as Paul has done before, He anticipated some questions from his readers, right? And so he basically asks those questions, and then he simply answers them, okay? And so his basic position here in verse 27 in those questions uh, is that we are not saved by the law. We're not saved by works, right? And because of that, he says there's nothing to boast about. It's not by works. It's not by the law. Because our salvation, he says, is through the work, yes, but it's the work of Jesus Christ. And so he's saying outside of that, everything else is pointless. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how good of a Jew you thought you were and doing these things. He says they're irrelevant. It doesn't matter. There's nothing to brag. There's nothing to boast about because those things don't even apply to your salvation. And so they're pointless, okay? But you've got to remember, folks, this was a problem with some of the Jews in the church. And we studied it right here in chapter 2. Turn back one chapter, if you would, Romans chapter 2. It'll give us a little reminder of some of the things the Jews were thinking. In chapter 2, verses 17 through 23, listen to what it said. Paul says, now you, okay, and by the way, just as a reminder, when it says if, it means since. In this context, it means since, okay? Now you, since you call yourself a Jew, since you rely on the law and you brag about your relationship with God, since you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, "...since you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, verse 21, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery?" You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? And of course the answer is yes, because he says in verse 24, God's name is actually blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So Paul here calls out the outright hypocrisy of some of these Jews. He does the same thing, by the way, in chapter 2, verse 1 okay, they think of themselves one way, okay, but they live out another, don't they? That's what he's saying here. Verse 17, it says they boast or they brag about their relationship with God. Verse 18, once again, they boast or they brag about knowing his will and being instructed by the law. And then look at verse, verses 19, they boast and say that we are a guide for the blind. We are a light for those in the darkness. We are instructors of the foolish. We are a teacher of infants. Do you see where, do you see, do you see where they're going here? What these Jews are holding to and why Paul beat them up, really? Some of these people really thought they were something special. That's why Paul had to, to hit him right there. But Paul, that's why he just simply calls him out and says, you're a hypocrite. You think you're all that, but you live your life just like everybody else. And then number two, the very basis of their thinking, right? Thinking you're special, will not and cannot save you. They're boasting about the law. They're boasting of what they know. They're boasting about how they're better than the Gentiles. He says, that, that can't save you. This is a problem they have. In other words, they boast about themselves. They boast about their knowledge of God. They boast actually about the law itself. But Paul says, but it's pointless. Okay? It will get you nowhere. Because works are irrelevant, boasting in those works are meaningless. Doesn't matter. Boasting is wrong, but boasting in something that doesn't matter is really wrong, if not stupid. And with salvation being by faith, Paul said right here, boasting is excluded. There's nothing to boast about, right? Once again, go back to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by what? Works, lest any man should what? Boast. See? See? And so to solidify his point that there is no boasting in salvation, Paul now says in verse 28, let me get back there real quick. Paul says now in verse 28, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. So making sure that his point comes across, Paul pretty much repeats what he said earlier on in verse 22, where he says righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 25, it is through faith in his blood. Verse 26, he justifies those who have faith in Jesus. It's pretty clear, isn't it? I mean, he's made this as crystal clear as he can in the last five or six verses. But I think what people do miss sometimes is when he says, we're saved by faith, he says, apart from observing the law. Okay? That word apart, it means without. It means by itself. Okay? Hence those words, those very important words, faith alone. Not faith, faith alone. Those are words the Reformers used, and they were very important words, right? Grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, Paul says, Know that a man is not justified by observing the law. Same principle, but by faith in Jesus Christ. See, folks, he's saying there that those two things are completely separate. There is no bringing together for the purpose of salvation. You can't bring works and faith together for the purpose of salvation. Now, because you are saved, there should be those works. But for the purpose of being saved, there's no connecting the two. There is no faith and works. Okay? Okay. Unlike, you know, say, Catholicism and and certainly other false religions, you can't just mix the two. You and I know that God's Word is the ultimate authority, and God's Word says, no, it doesn't work that way. You might remember I shared a few weeks ago, as as I'm going through Romans, I mentioned from Hebrews chapter 11. You might remember all the Old Testament saints that are mentioned there in Hebrews chapter 11. He says... They were uh, by faith, by faith, remember that? By faith, Abel. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Moses. By faith, Rahab. Remember that? By faith, by faith, by faith. Never one time did he even mention or even imply anything about works. Not even once. You see, folks, works is a system of self effort, it is a system of self salvation, self glorification. You can't mix that and faith. Those two things are mutually exclusive. To say salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ plus anything is outright heresy. If not, blasphemy. I don't care what it is. You're saying that what Jesus did on the cross was insufficient. I don't care if you say, well, I believe you should be baptized to be saved. Baloney. That's adding to what Christ did. You're saying that when Jesus said, it is finished, you're saying, no, that's a lie. I've got to do these works. I've got to go here. I've got to pray this rosary. I've got to be baptized. Whatever, picture a thousand different things. It doesn't matter. But you're saying when Jesus says it's finished, it's done, the debt's been paid in full, you're saying, no, I don't think so. And that's against the person in the work of Christ. We don't play that game. And to be clear, that's one of the reasons for this historical event in the early 16th century, we all know as what? You may know? The Reformation. That was one of the reasons for the Reformation. Well, going into verses 29 and 30, Paul will ask yet another question. And then, as always, he will give that answer. He says, in, starting in verse 28, he says, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith, apart from law okay, verse 29. He says, is God then God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? And he answers it. He says, yes of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through the same faith. So once again, anticipating uh, that this might be a question for those who have read his letter thus far, for those who have read this all the way up to where we are right now, he thinks this is probably going to be a question that's going to come up. Okay, so Paul says here, look at, there's only one true God. His name is Yahweh, by the way. And that one God is not just the God of the Jews. He is also a God, or the God of the Gentiles. And then what does he do in the very next verse? To make sure there's clarity, right? He says he is the God of those who have been circumcised as well as those who have not been circumcised. And as you know, the reason he brought this up is because of what he said in chapter 2 that he knew probably was going to ruffle some feathers. Okay? Remember, folks, circumcision was a really big deal if you were a Jew. Okay? It wasn't just about oh, obedience to God, but as I said in chapter 2, it gave them security. Okay, the Jews regarded circumcision as a way of securing their salvation. Okay, look back, if you would, real quick. Drop back to chapter 2 again. This time we're going to start in verse 25. Just a reminder, because this applies to what we're talking about right now. Paul goes, gets all over them with, with this. Listen. Circumcision, starting in verse 25, circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you have not been circumcised. If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they have been circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law, he says, will condemn you, who even though you have the written code, you have circumcision, you're a lawbreaker, he says. And then listen to what he says, verse 28, a man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No. He says a man is a Jew, that's a true Jew, that's a real Jew, if he is one inwardly. And circumcision is a circumcision of the heart. He says it's by the Spirit. It's not by the written code. Such a praise is not from men, but from God. So, So physical circumcision, he says, never dealt with the issue of sin, okay? It becomes nothing more than a ritual unless that develops into an obedient life that is submitted to God. And so what does he say? He said God looks for a circumcision of the heart, and it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile. Right? That's what he says in the text. God is the God of the Jews and the Gentiles, the circumcised and the uncircumcised. He says it doesn't matter who you are. Even though the Jews were God's chosen people and they did possess numerous benefits. I've read them before, they're all at the very beginning of chapter 9. Okay? They had many benefits on being a Jew. It was never, ever God's intent to keep the rest of the world outside his plan of salvation. Do you understand that? This wasn't like, well, I was just going to save the Jews, but since you screwed up, I'll save the Gentiles. That was never God's plan. On the other hand, the Jews felt it was all about them. They felt, oh, it's all about me, I'm a Jew. Listen to what it says in Deuteronomy 7, verse 6. God said, Speaking of Israel, the Jews, he says, For you are a people holy to the Lord, set apart for the Lord. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. Folks, the Jews pretty much claimed God as their own. Okay, And in their mind, why not? right? Why not? The Gentiles worshipped a bunch of phony gods. They, they worshipped a, a bunch of fake idols anyway, right? God calls us his children. We're the only ones who worship him. So yeah, God is the God of the Jews. That's their mindset. Well, Paul, as you know, just shot that down but he also said something earlier on, if you caught that, in chapter 1, verse 16. Many of you know this. But Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, right? Because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And in, t- in case you don't know what everyone means, he says, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. What? It's the power of God, the salvation for the Jew, as well as the Gentile. He's the God of both, folks. Matter of fact, he's going to remind them again later in chapter 10, verse 12, where he's as clear as he can be. He says, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. I don't care if you're a Jew. And I don't care if you've been circumcised. I'm glad you obeyed me because that was a, a law of God. Don't get me wrong. But you're not taking it to where it should be going. It didn't just forgive you your sin and give you the keys to eternal glory. What's wrong with your heart, right? Circumcision of the heart. I can only imagine, by the way, how long it took some of these to, to really grasp this fact that God being the creator of all men is the God of all men. Jew and Gentile, they all have an opportunity to have a relationship with Him through faith in His Son. I wonder how long it took them to just grasp that because of how they were taught, how they grew up. Well, as we end this chapter this morning in verse 31 Paul knows there might be people who think that he's replacing the law with faith. Okay? Therefore what he does is he makes a clear statement that those two things are distinct and each has their own task. Look at what he says here verse 31. He says, "Do we then, in other words, after everything I just said, he says, "do we nullify the law by this faith?" not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. So the question might be for some, with faith in Jesus being the new way, remember this is the first century here, with faith in Jesus being the new way, does the law get kicked to the curb? He's thinking that they're going to ask that question. Is that true? Once again, folks, understanding that this is the first century. This is only like 25 years after Jesus left this earth. Okay? That being said, I can kind of understand how a Jew might think like this. Okay? We've had 2,000 years to read our Bibles. 25 years after the ascension of Christ, I can kind of understand how they were brought up and they're thinking, how, how they can probably think like that. What many of them did not understand at this point was that the law and the gospel, or if you will, the law and faith, were separate systems. As far as salvation is concerned, the gospel does not replace the law because the law was never a method of salvation. That had to tweak their mind a little bit, right? Right? But one doesn't take over the other because the law was never there. The law was never a method to where you can get saved. But that was all new to them. See, And so Paul throws this out there and he says, no, faith does not nullify the law. Faith is the way of salvation. Faith in Christ is the only way. law never was. So he says, no, it doesn't doesn't nullify the law. And of course, a key word there is the word nullify. It simply means to render inoperative. Okay, So no, he says, the law does not stop functioning due to faith being the only access to salvation. In other words, so if faith is the only way, is the law, is it done? Do we just squish it? Do we just turn it off? Is it over with? Okay, And what does he say? He says, no, rather we uphold the law. Okay, In other words, the law he's saying is still active and even now plays a vital role in salvation. doesn't save you, but it does play a vital role in salvation. Just look right here in chapter 3, verse 20. Just back up a few verses to verse 20. What did Paul say? He says, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Listen, rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Folks, the law has never and will never save anyone, but it does have a crucial role, doesn't it? Through the law, we're conscious of sin. Same thing, Galatians chapter 3, verses 24 and 25. He says, the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ. Listen, that we may be justified by faith. Did you catch that? Now that faith has come, he says, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. He says here the law has done its job. It's caused us to realize that we are sinners, that we are in need of a Savior, which he says right here is by faith. See? He says the law drew us to Christ because we needed a Savior. But once that happened, he says that we were justified by faith right there in Galatians 3. They both have a role to play. Paul says later in chapter 7, verse 7 here in Romans, I I wouldn't have known what sin was if it wasn't for the law. Right? He's living his life, doing his thing, and all of a sudden, do not covet. Oh, shoot, I've been coveting. I'm a sinner. Do not lie. Oh, man, I'm screwed up. (laughs) See, he began to realize this because of the law. The law helps you to see I'm messed up. I have failed. God's holy, perfect standards that we fail, we all do. That's what leads us to say you need Jesus, and it's only by faith. That's what he says there in Galatians chapter 3. So are we under the law now as believers? No, we're not. The law has driven us to our final destination, and that is faith in Jesus Christ. In that, we are born again, the Bible says, a new birth, a rebirth, Titus says. We are new creations in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. And now that the Spirit of God continually indwells every believer, we now have the ability to live out holy lives that God has called us to. People who tried to live out a holy life by looking at the law, all it did was tell them you failed. Oops, you screwed up. Oh, you sinned again. And that pushed them to Jesus. Now that we've come to Christ, we still hold to God's moral standard, which, by the way, all those moral standards are brought over to the New Testament. God's morality doesn't change. The moral law doesn't change. We still obey those, but we do it by the power of the Spirit of God that now lives in us because we have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your word continues, you know, as we go through this, this book, Romans, and as it continues to, to share with us these little, these little tidbits. You know, there are people today who still believe that we must do certain things in addition to our faith. And Lord, we, we understand that the works, the law, and any other religious tradition is absolutely irrelevant. It is absolutely meaningless. And Lord, it is only through faith, because of the law, because of us recognizing I am sinful and I fail the holy standards of God, the law did its job, and that pushed us to faith in Christ. Lord, we thank you that you have revealed this to us. We thank you that you have shown us that you are the only way There is no other way. It's Christ alone. It's either his death or ours. And we thank you, Lord, that you loved us enough to send Jesus Christ. That he says, I'll do it. I'll pay the price for our sin. And it was not an easy task. It was his death. And Lord, uh, there's, there's not enough thanks, enough that we can give to you knowing that we will not pay for our sin, that we will not be in hell. Even though we may deserve it, but we will not be there because our faith is in Christ alone and his work on the cross. Thank you for applying that to us. Thank you, as verse 21 says, for giving us the righteousness of Christ. And I pray that we would honor you in all that we do with that very label. In Jesus' name, amen.